Hi, welcome to Infill, where we discuss local San Francisco politics and policy with Team Yimby. And today we have guest Nick Josefowitz. Nick, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. My name's Nick Josefowitz. I'm on the BART Board of Directors. I represent about um, uh, half of San Francisco, um, from Chinatown out to the ocean and down to the Daly City border. And before I was on the bar board, I ran a company that developed solar power plants. Cool. And Brian Hanlon. Brian Hanlon, the co-executive director of Carla. Awesome. And so today we just want to kind of dive in about, like, what does the bar board even do? Why can't I get from point A to point B? And why are you personally responsible? (laughs) (laughs) So I think the question is, what doesn't the bar board do? That's... um, so we're basically one of the three, um, only three elected board of directors of a major transit system in the United States. Um, and so we're, there's nine of us. Um, we get elected from districts of about 400,000 people around San Francisco, Alameda and Contra Costa counties. And uh, we are basically responsible for the BART system. And uh, so... Everything that's wrong with it, it's our fault. And everything that's right with it is probably something we inherited from previous generations of directors. <laughs> um, so I know you did a lot of work on the BART bond. Um, do you want to go into like what the relationship between the BART board and the BART bond was and how that's supposedly going to help uh, make the infrastructure a little better? So BART was built in the 1960s. And when it was built, it was just state of the art. It was the... F- the first system in, in the world to use electronic ticketing rather than those kind of funky coin-like tokens. It, it built the longest, deepest underwater subway tunnel that had ever been built at the time. It was the fastest, lightest, most energy efficient system that had ever been built. Um, and it was something that was, you know, what we can achieve as a Bay Area when we really set our minds to kind of difficult problems. So how did we lose this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is all of our dreams died in the 1960s. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, since then, we kind of haven't really been taking care of it. And we kind of treated the BART system like it was a teenager and that it never needed to go to the doctor and you could kind of do whatever you wanted to it and it was just going to kind of bounce back and, you know, f- party till five in the morning and then kind of go to school the next day. and. It's not. It's like it, it's in middle aged and everything is starting to creak and hurt. And um, and so we basically had this huge kind of backlog of, of upgrades that needed to happen. Um, we needed to replace our train cars, which were the oldest train cars in the country. Um, we used to have when BART was built, it runs on electricity and we had redundant power systems so that if one power system failed, um, it would be able to flip over to the other one. Um, now, in a lot of our system, uh, the redundant power system has failed and we're on the backup and we don't have a backup. Um, and uh, we have 90 miles of steel rail that still dates back to the 1960s. It's it's a real kind of, you know, it's a real mess. And so we needed, when I got elected two years ago, this was one of the things that I ran on that BART really needed to, to modernize and it really needed to upgrade and need to do it kind of 10 years ago. Um, but since we weren't going to do it 10 years ago, we need to do it as quickly as possible. And that's why basically for the first time ever, we got together and we put a three and a half billion dollar bond on the ballot um, to ask voters in the Bay Area whether they wanted to continue having a safe and reliable BART 
um, for the next 50 years in the way we have for the last 45. And people wanna... came back resoundingly and said, hell yeah. Yeah. But I just also want to say, like, the reason you had to do that, if we needed another reason to scream about Prop 13, I just want to make everyone take a moment here right now to say, oh, my fucking God, we could have had Prop 13 taxes and that could have done a lot of this work. But OK, we passed the VARP on. So we did, and we needed to pass it with two thirds of the vote. Right. And yeah. um, and for something like Bard, it's Thank re- you, Prop 13. It's really tough because two-thirds of the Bay Area does not ride on BART every day. But clearly, everybody in the Bay Area benefits secondhand, even if they don't ride BART, from a really functioning system. Because if BART didn't exist, the congestion would be insane, even more than it is today. And that we would have way worse air pollution. Um, and, uh, and it would sort of be a real killer on our economy because we couldn't, people wouldn't be able to get to their jobs or be able to get to school and sort of access opportunity. And so I think it's a real testament to the kind of the faith that the Bay Area has in um, in BART and in kind of similar institutions that really serve the public, capital P, kind of broadly, um, that over 70% of voters were willing to kind of step up and help, um, help rebuild the system and modernize it for the future. So could you talk a little bit about what this money is going to go for? So I understand there's this huge backlog of capital improvements and BART has this big long list of things. And it's going to go towards some of that. Um, but as you mentioned before, you know, BART was this culmination of this amazing, you know, modern utopia dream of the 1960s. Uh-huh. Are, are we just stuck with maintaining the infrastructure from the 1960s? Or is some of this money going to be used, at least for the planning stages, to talk about expanding BART? So um, it's... Oftentimes, the most efficient way to expand something is not to build a new thing on the end of it, but it's to take the existing system and just make it work a lot more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so um, the core of what this that this BART bond is going to go towards is stuff like replacing the 90 miles of original steel rail, um, replacing $1.3 billion of electrical infrastructure that is currently a bit like your grandmother's kitchen, where if you plug the mixer in, it kind of sh- shorts out the lights <laughs> um, and stuff like that to kind of keep BART working safely and reliably. But we also have a really um, a, a sort of a, a significant p- part of this bond, um, which is going to allow us to expand capacity on our existing system by replacing our train control system, which are the computers that run the trains, which are kind of Pong era computers. Um, and that's why whenever you get into a station, it goes dun, 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 <laughs> um, like Pong. And, uh, and uh, so we'll be able to run, once we replace our train control system, once we've made the kind of the reliability upgrades that we need on the tracks, once we can replace our electrical systems so that they're much more efficient and pumping more power um, into our rails, um, we'll be able to run about 30% more trains um, per hour than we did before. So instead of running 23 or 24 trains an hour through the Transbay Tube and into downtown San Francisco, we'll be able to run 29 or 30 trains an hour through the Tube into downtown San Francisco. And that's going to allow us, along with purchasing some new rail cars, to, um, to increase our capacity by 200,000 daily riders. So I want to put that in context because not many people know what 200,000 daily riders means. That's as many people as ride UD Metro every day. That's three times as many people as ride Caltrain, almost. So by just 
modernizing our existing system, we can add an entire Muni Metro's worth of capacity to BART. So that's fantastic and necessary. Um, but I, you know, the I hear a lot of talk on transit Twitter of a second Transbay tube. That the time is eventually going to come where we're going to need a second Transbay mm-hmm. tube. One tube isn't enough, um, and we're looking at densifying uh, our uh, core cities as well, San Francisco and Oakland. So I'm not talking about a, you know the expansion of Warm Springs as much as I'm talking about you know why don't we have a, a Additional BART lines in in San Francisco. We have one line, which is what is it, is it five miles long in San Francisco? Like, what is the, the total track length in the city? Um, it's a great question. I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's um, so we're going to be yeah. So part of this bond does um, start us along what is a long road or a long subway track um, or a short <laughs> subway track or whatever um, or or bike lane to um, to starting to to, to sort of have us a second rail crossing um under the bay and it could be bart it could be caltrain kind of connecting caltrain with the kind of conventional rail um on in the east bay sort of capital corridor up to sacramento um ace out to the central valley um the san joaquins uh, along the northern coast coast of contra costa um and i think that's really important because right now um, and this was one of the things that i ran but one of the reasons I ran for BART is we have like a pretty good sort of skeleton of a transportation system, which we've kind of let rot a little. But it's it's we, we can build something really um, much more valuable, much, much more important, much which delivers much greater mobility on the sort of the bones that we already have. Um, and so if we can build a second crossing... Um, that will allow us to do that. Um, it'll it'll sort of maximize how effectively and efficiently we can use the ex- all the existing rail infrastructure that we've already built. You know, I just for people who've been following the Millbrae project, where they're uh, debating uh, putting giant fees on every unit of potential housing that's going to go in right on top of their BART station. You know, it's kind of this frustrating thing because. They're making the argument in Millbrae that uh, BART can't handle the increased capacity that that's you know that those new people would bring to that station. Meanwhile, we just passed the BART bond. You know, like we get into a lot of chicken and egg conversations, and it sounds like maybe BART is getting a little bit closer to solving some of our chicken problems if we can just do some of the housing for our egg problems at the same time. You know, I'm wondering. You've lost me this microphone. I don't know what's chicken, what's egg at this point. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, it sounds like you know. We have chronically underfunded our public transportation system for decades. Um, do you really feel like we're turning the corner on that? I mean, I know the BART bond seemed big, but to me it's, it seemed small for the level of need that we have. You know, I think a lot of us felt we were turning the corner, and then Trump came out with his budget, and it just kind of decimated. Um, <laughs> it's a preliminary budget, but it, it sort of decimated public transit funding. Um, and, uh, you know... If one looks just at the kind of core region, there was money. There was we were the region was hoping to get money for Caltrain electrification, which would have significantly improved Caltrain and increased capacity and frequency. It was hoping to get money to round out uh, getting BART to downtown San Jose, um, which would have been incredibly important because that would have helped catalyze um, all the development around the Diridon station and hopefully help kind of turn that area into um, a real regional hub which I think it, it, it already it has the possibility to become, and it almost is, um, and we really need it as a region to, to sort of reach its full potential. 
there was BART was also sort of many years down the line in a federal grant application um, to try and get almost a billion dollars for kind of core capacity upgrades, which is going to be go alongside the money we raised in the bond to help us increase the amount of people we can carry. And so I think that now that we're faced with all this federal money drying up, we're going to have to really face the music as a, as a city and as a region and decide if we want to step up. Um, we're a wealthy place and kind of um, not allow the federal government to cut off our core services and we're going to fund them ourselves. And I have a lot of hope that we'll, that we'll do that as a city and a region. Um, but it's going to be a big lift and it's going to be tough for folks. Um, and, uh, but that's something I'm excited to work on. Well, so how might we, we do that? Because you're right, we can vilify Trump all we want and, and we should. That said, this is one of the richest regions on the planet. We have the resources here to build a world-class transit system. Now, we have a lot of laws, as Laura mentioned, like Prop 13, that make that very difficult. But, you know, why is it that there are there's so much underutilized land around BART stations? I'm thinking like North Berkeley, for instance, is a vast parking lot in a sea of single-family homes. Um, the, 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 the Millbury issue that uh, Laura mentioned. What sort of land use authority does BART have adjacent to its stations? So, um, BART, just to put it in context, BART is the largest parking lot owner west of the Mississippi. <laughs> we own something like... Good four, job, guys. Thank you. Um, we own 48,000 parking spaces um, because BART was envisioned in the 60s as this kind of fan, fantasy of a kind of commuter railroad where everybody could live wherever they wanted to, drive to a BART station, get free parking jump on a BART train that had seats that were wider than a first-class airline seat with plush carpeting and kind of almost jet into their jobs in downtown San Francisco and kind of these new skyscrapers. And um, and that was great for the 60s, but that's just not where we are today. And, you know, it's kind of the, the work we're doing at BART is part of, I think, this broader work that we need to do to retrofit suburbia. Um, and, and so... Over the last few years, we've been slowly to start with and now a lot more quickly trying to develop a lot of those parking lots into communities because um, we... You don't need to do a because. Okay, we don't need to do yeah, a because. Yeah, I don't don't know. Know. <laughs> so, How is it going? Gosh, uh, why would you want to turn parking lots into communities? I can't think of a single person who would say that's a... Um, <laughs> well, Bob Gunderson. There's okay, a person. yes, yes. yes. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's really tough. So when BART was first, um, enacted by the state legislature, they gave us, they gave BART land use authority for transportation uses. So if we want to build a parking structure on our parking lot, we don't need, we basically do it ourselves and whatever. If we want to build housing, we have to go through a local entitlement process um, and uh, and because we operate across the region in you know in, in forty six I think or forty seven stations and you guys have in no multiple cities going through entitlement process for housing right I mean this is like a new thing it's not entirely new and we just brought on we're we're really upgrading our real estate team and we just brought on um, the head of economic development from Redwood City who presided over sort of a lot of the incredible work that happened in Redwood City to kind of turn it into like a model community on the peninsula where there's actually real kind of development happening around the Caltrain station. You have kind of great mid-rise sort of job and housing 
um, happening happening in its downtown and it's become incredibly vibrant and Box moved its headquarters there as well as a bunch of other places. And so he's just like, this guy Sean is an incredible breath of fresh air and I think is really bringing new energy and new life to our real estate department. And also we've had some changes in the board of directors so that we got nine folks. We didn't really have a majority that was kind of pro community. We had a majority that was pro parking and now we have a kind of a pro community majority, which is really exciting. Um, and we have some senior management that is also really pro-community. They come from Seattle and Portland and places like that. And so I think there's a real, there's, we're moving a lot faster than we were, but you know, we're not moving fast enough because the need is just so intense. And we just did, we passed a, a policy recently, which revamps our, how we think about transit-oriented development, which is kind of our, how, how we think about the word that we use for these things at BART. And the, the goal was to develop 20,000 housing units and four and a half million square feet of commercial space on our property alone um, uh, over the next decades. And um, I'd like to see us do that over the next decade, singular, um, because we need it so badly. But, but that's a huge amount of housing, right? If we did that and we, took, and we sort of considered that a single project, that would be by far the largest development project in the Bay Area. And how are communities reacting to that? You know, we have some communities that are incredibly enthusiastic. And I, you guys were super involved in the MacArthur project. Yeah. So um, there, we just got a unanimous approval by the Oakland City Council to build a 25-foot, um, uh, sorry, not 25-foot, 25-foot, 25-story <laughs> um, uh, housing development right next to our BART station at MacArthur, which is awesome. And it's so exciting. And it's basically the first time that's happened in the Bay Area, maybe even like the first time that's happened outside of like New York or DC. And, um, but you know, not every community is, is like that. That took a lot of hard work from sort of fellow BART directors, especially one of my colleagues, Robert Rayburn, who's been just working his tail off on that and community meeting after community meeting after community meeting. Yeah. Of course, that was the plan though, right? I mean, if you, I've, reviewed some old BART propaganda from the 1970s, and it imagined tall buildings adjacent to BART stations outside of the downtown. So like, it, it's not as if this is just like a, a brand new idea that like no one at BART was thinking about this. I'd, I'd like to know if you, like, are you also staffing up your, your lobbying shop? Because it seems that one of the real problems that you face is that you span many different local jurisdictions, and yet you are subject to the local rules for any given station if you want to develop there. The way that Hong Kong and other transit systems work is like they have, I mean, well, they, they own a lot of the adjoining land, which in part is how they're able to fund their operations and their capital improvements because they actually get revenue from tenants who are you know, mm -hmm. on their land. Could we you know, pass a bill that would, one, grant BART the authority to you know, do any sort of housing office um, development on its own land? And two, maybe take away land use authority period within say half a mile radius of any BART or Caltrade station. Like why, why is Shots it? Shots fired. Well, you know, and <laughs> this is an idea I've, I've floated to some, to some uh, electives in Sacramento and they, they thought it was interesting. Um, but right, like why is it that, you know, some of these, you know, podunk shit cities are able to squash development um, when this is a regional and statewide um, transit system of importance, tons of state and other regional monies are going into it. 
why like why should Milbury even get a say? You don't have to, you know, Nick. If I, you want to give a good old duck to that one, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, you know, I think um, the the broader question is when the region is investing as much money in infrastructure, transportation, but you can think about any infrastructure, right? Um, and uh, I think there is a real need for communities who get that regional infrastructure to kind of hold up their end of the bargain. And what happened with BART is that there was a sort of a soft bargain that was initially struck. And some cities sort of initially did kind of hold up their end, like Walnut Creek. If you go around the Walnut Creek BART station, there's like a really sort of, you know, exciting amount of development there. Um, but what happened is that because those con those the, the deals that the region basically struck with these cities were kind of written in pencil, um, there was a ballot initiative in Walnut Creek um, a few decades ago. Uh, I think I can't remember exactly when, but I think sort of around 10, 20 years ago that basically put a height limit on all new development um, in reaction to some of the development that was going on around the BART station there. Um, and it passed. And so now there's, you know, it's really difficult to, to, to do that same type of development around the bus station for the parcels that didn't get developed to Walnut Creek. And, you know, at the moment, that's that they can do that. But I think a lot of other folks in the region who kind of paid for BART um, to go to Walnut Creek um, are feeling a bit miffed um, that, that Walnut Creek, to a certain extent, backed out of its end of that bargain. Um, and... I mean, to me, I think the biggest piece of the problem there is that because of the political, you know, New York thinks of itself as the five boroughs. You, you know, everybody, you wouldn't read, you know, there are local newspapers and whatnot, but like, you know, Brooklyn doesn't think of itself as a totally isolated community that has nothing to do with Manhattan. Whereas, you know, in Walnut Creek, there are people who don't think of themselves as a suburb of San Francisco. They think of themselves as, as well, you know, mentally and politically, they're fragmented. You know, I had people in Brisbane who were saying, you know, I mean, Brisbane touches San Francisco, and yet they were talking about San Francisco as if it was on the moon. And, you know, that, that mental fragmentation means that I don't even think people in San Francisco pay any attention to what of all of our misbehaving suburbs are up to and, and really don't put that into the calculus of why are things in San Francisco so bad. It's because we have all, you know, every little community charting its own little destiny rather than thinking of themselves as an economically integrated region. And I think the flip, the flip side is true too. I think San Francisco can often sort of navel gaze Oh, totally. Um, and, oh, yes. and sort of forget that it's that it's 900,000 people in a region of, of over 8 million. Um, and I think everybody needs to kind of think more more regionally. You know, what is it like? Act local, think regional. I mean, I knew who broke up with someone because he lived in Oakland. And it was, <laughs> you know, like that's some navel gazing right there. <laughs> yeah, that's really bad. All right, well, so... Laura is very kind. So, so Nick, you don't need to maybe answer my direct political <laughs> points if you have any ambitions of anyone ever voting for you again. Um, but the, the, let's take a, a, the, the, more, the more limited question, though, of BART's own land. BART, if BART already has the statutory authority to build parking structures, it's not such a huge thing to grant BART the statutory authority for, for building housing on land that it already owns. Is BART 
working, you know, staffing up and like working with people to like write some laws to, you know, start feeding this to legislatures? Or would you be willing to work with outside organizations? I don't know, maybe Yimby Action uh, <laughs> that would be willing to start working on those bills and pushing them in, in the state house. So we, we've been really supportive of sort of legislation which will make it easier for us to to sort of achieve our, our transit-oriented development goals um, because it used to be that kind of Bart was just focused on running a railroad and everything else was just somewhat irrelevant. And I now think that there's a real consensus that while we do need to run, run a railroad first and foremost, it is you know equally important for us to kind of really be, uh, help build communities around our stations. Um, and uh, and so we, we are really supportive of um, of sort of legislative efforts to, to sort of make that easier. And there's a whole bunch that, are, that, that, that sort of happen every year. I think one of the things that sort of drives me fairly crazy in this whole government business is how every little bit of branch of government is hiring lobbyists to lobby the other branches of government. Um, <laughs> and it just seems massively inefficient. And I realize why we have to do it, um, but but it sort of drives me crazy. And so I'm not massively keen on hiring, on having Bart hire a bunch more lobbyists to go lobby some other lobbyists who work for another bit of government to get to sort of pass legislation, which would then have an impact on another bit of government. I mean, so um, so we do all we can to be supportive, um, and that's important to us. So let me ask you a question about funding. How is Bart mostly funded right now? Like, I understand it has one of the higher, like, what are called fair box recovery ratios in the United States, where like the 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 percentage of funds uh-huh. that you derive from fair paying customers is higher, but you do get a lot of funds, um, you know, from general public support, correct? Yeah. So, um, so a little moment to geek out and I'm sure this is like the audience to do it. This is the right place to do it. That's why I just dropped fair box recovery ratio. (laughs) FBR. Um, so, um, so there's two types of fair box recovery ratios. There is the, just how much, what proportion of your operating revenue is, uh, is covered by fares. And then there's, I think, the, the more accurate way of looking at it, which is what portion of your operating revenue is covered by earned revenue. So that's fares, parking, advertising. We sell right-of-way um, for broadband providers, um, etc. cetera. Um, so um, we have the highest ratio in the country um, because we have huge trains. So there's 1,500 people that can fit on our trains at rush hour. Um, and that just makes it very efficient to run because you have one train operator for every 1,500 people. If you're riding a bus, you have a train operator for every, you have a bus conductor for every 60 people, a bus driver. Um, and we are fairly expensive. Um, and uh, so as a result, we kind of cover almost 80% of our operating costs with earned revenue. And we're trying to push that even higher. We're going to be expanding advertising in our stations. We're trying to do more creative things where we just signed a contract with Muni where we're going to provide cell service in the Muni tunnels um, and we're going to split the revenues from that because we have a lot of expertise doing that and if uh, and Muni doesn't, it didn't make sense for them to staff that up. Um, we're in discussions with Caltrans about how we can um, maybe use some of their right away um, to, uh, to, build out a fi- to help build out the fiber network um, and help manage that for them and generate more revenue and, 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 and split that revenue. So... Um, but in addition to all the money that we earn ourselves, um, we also uh, levy um, a small sales tax across Alameda, Contra Costa, and San Francisco counties, which kind of funds the addition. 
So now is is that the remaining twenty percent almost entirely comes from the sales tax, or yeah, the remaining almost entirely comes from the sales tax, um, and then the sales tax also provides us with a little bit more than that, which we put back into capital. Okay. Because we're just talking about operating, mm-hmm. um, not capital, which is a sort of a fuzzy line. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, so things classified differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Has BART looked at what sort of revenue they could generate if they were able to manage their land in a manner sort of like similar to what like a Hong Kong or what other uh, transit authorities can do when they own the land and they're able to derive rental income from that? Yeah, totally. And it's an enormous amount of money. Um, and, you know, the amount of money that we can generate or the amount of value I think we can generate um, until now has basically been plowed back into parking structures so we would take a bit of our park of our parking lot build sort of mid-rise housing on it or low-rise housing unfortunately in some places um, and then sort of build a parking structure on the other bit of the housing to make up for the lost parking Um, and over the past decades we've generated hundreds of millions of dollars of new parking structures yeah and now how much have you recovered right because i mean it, it costs i mean in San Francisco right now, I mean, I hear that it can cost between anywhere between like forty and eighty thousand dollars for a structured parking space. So, how much is it costing BART? And are you actually, you know, the one to four dollars it costs to park at a BART station? Are you recovering that? Yeah. So we just got um, estimates for a new parking garage at our Dublin Pleasanton station that was costing seventy thousand dollars per new space, which is an absurd use of money. Right. Um, I I don't know anybody who would want to build a parking space um, for $70,000. Um, so I don't know. And, but yet they kind of somehow expect government to build parking spaces for, for that amount of money. And, um, and so I, 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 what we're doing is, is I think because of the, the, the new composition of the board, um, we actually are sort of for a lot of our stations getting rid of this kind of parking replacement thing. Um, and instead we're, we're, we're putting, um, we're going to be putting a lot of the money into affordable housing on BART property. So we committed to a, uh, a 35% um, target for, low, for, uh, for affordable housing of the, on, across our system. So if we can build 20,000 units of housing, um, over 7,000 of them would be affordable which is really exciting. That's what LA Metro's done. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think that that's kind of what we need to be doing. And just, just to, again, just to be clear for our listeners, the the $70,000 of space for parking in Dublin Pleasanton, you do not anticipate that you would be able to make up for that by charging for parking spaces there, do you? No, no. I mean, Bar so currently like charges about... Yeah, it's yeah. a huge subsidy for... For parking, there's whereas, no doubt about it. Right. Whereas Bart, instead of subsidizing car drivers, could be making money from people living on Bart property if you were to build apartments. Because every, you know, every we estimate that for every parking space we get 1.1 um, Bart riders, um, and uh, if you build housing on our on property, not only do you get the rental income. But the types of people who are going to want to live near Bart are also going to be the type of people who want to take Bart and not just during the commute, but to kind of, you know, go yeah. out at night and on weekends. Um, and so we're going to be generating, you know, revenue from from those uh, from those residents as riders as well. So there's a lot of benefit that we can get um, from from that. And if we can not just 
build one development, but if we can really start building communities around our BART station, um, then you start getting these kind of multiplier effects where um, you it can start be one it can start being the development we do on our property can be a catalyst for the development that happens off our property, mm -hmm. um, and as a way of generating even more riders and helping pe even more people live and work and play um, and learn around our stations. Great. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. It's really exciting to to be on this to be on this podcast. And uh, if anybody wants to ask any follow up questions, um, they should just uh, send me an email, Nick J at getsfmoving.com because that's what we're trying to do and uh, or reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or um, you know send me a Snapchat Snapchat story about getting to work on Bard or whatever you want to do um, I love hearing from folks and because if you don't tell me what's wrong we don't know what to fix All right. thanks Nick